0: Join us on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, the big book, cover to cover. This is Michael Easley
1: in Context.
0: It is my delight, thrill, excitement, joy to have my friend Gene Hendricks back on the podcast. How are you doing, Gene?
1: I am doing very well. The Lord is good to me, far beyond what I deserve, but I'm so honored to be with you.
0: Well, and as you tell me one-on-one, it's that stubborn German constitution of yours, right?
1: Well, I guess so. It's, it's a combination. <laughs> and having lived all those years with Howard Hendricks, what else do you do? You're well, <laughs>
0: there is that. <laughs> we just met with our, our financial planner, Cindy and I. We have our annual, you know, review where you sit down and oh, get yes, the good so news and bad news, right? And, uh, I said, hey, just by the way, how many of your clients did the husband outlive the wife? And they looked at each other and said, I don't even know we could come up with one.
1: (laughs) That's right. Zip. (laughs) So yeah, I, I that's we we women do we do hard things to our men and they have to go off to heaven. Well,
0: well see, what I figured it is, Cindy, all this money's yours when I'm gone.
1: <laughs> that's right, that, and I have to remember that every dollar I'm spending, he earned it.
0: Well, it's not just that; it's that hey, you know, have some fun, you know, for goodness' sakes. You know, oh, go out yeah. and buy a convertible, would you? You know. Well. Anyway, well, listen, you have taught the Book of Ruth probably countless times. And what we're doing at our little Bible church, Stonebird Bible Church, is I have been teaching through each book of the Bible in one Sunday. So it's been sort of the Ray Stedman approach, you know, going through the Bible. And I've learned so much. And I know you're a learner. And I know you've taught this book a lot of times. And I think the kinsman redeemer is the hero. And I think Ruth is the compliant, you know, faithful follower But you've got a different take on the book.
1: Well, it's very contemporary. You know, it's interesting. This book was written, you know, more than 3,000 years ago. And it is so up to date. I mean, the people in it are going through exactly the same things that we see today, especially with women. It's very relevant. Uh, and the dependency is so often on men, but then uh, we we do the men and we're left alone. Um, and this, this whole thing is just full of raw emotion, uh, and it just gets to you when you read it every time.
0: Let me uh, set a little bit of our context, because the book of Judges, which covers about 350 to 410 years. Uh, that book uh, covers the darkest chapters of Israel's life. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's no king in Israel. And then Ruth is this story. Now, it came about in the days when, the literally, it's when the judges were judging. So we get this little two-page story in our Bible that somewhere fall into that 350-plus-year dark chapter of Israel's history of three key players, Ruth, Naomi, and the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. So, So it's a dark, dark chapter, but there's a bright story.
1: Well, it is. It's very bright, but it really does start out very, very dark. Uh, it and it teaches the 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 force of it is that it teaches you what to do when the world falls apart. It's the secret of renewal, revival. Uh, it's a power source. I, I think of it as, as kind of a a password into the power source. How do you get beyond when everything falls apart? Um, and it 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 sort of falls to me in in four different uh, scenes, if you will, um, that I uh, I use my husband's alliteration so that I can remember it: of despair, desperation, decision, and then deliverance. Um, and and you got to walk through those first ones, and it, it it just seems impossible that it could be as bad as it was. So
0: let's start. Let's start with despair. Give us, you know, fill us okay, in. Okay,
1: they're in th- this little family, and of course, remember, this is a Hebrew family. They're living in this little town of Bethlehem, which later will become very famous as the birthplace of Jesus. But it's an agrarian society. So you have uh, you're dependent upon your crops, and when you have a famine, when you have a drought, you don't eat. And this uh, this Hebrew family and all the the names have meanings. Like Elimelech means God is King. His wife Naomi means Pleasant. And they have these two young sons, Melan and Kilian, and their names mean weak. And pining—it's
0: kind of comical, isn't it? You name your children—you it, it, wonder what they were like as infants, right? <laughs> that's that's right. It was
1: a sad situation. Yeah. And Elimelech—we uh, don't know what his attitude was, but he was—he was absolutely despairing of how he's going to feed the family, what he's going to do, and he f- figures out you know it's kind of like the okies in uh, in the 20s in the united states when we had a drought and in the, and the sandstorms and all the rest and they all went out, out to california because they they just couldn't make Dust Bowl. it in oklahoma yeah. Yeah. but anyway he goes but remember because the bible doesn't tell us exactly how it all happened and the historians are not quite sure of which direction they went but we have to remember that Bethlehem was located on this this street, this road, which is called the Grand Trunk Road. Now they had two options; they could go north around the north end of the Dead Sea, because he wanted to go to Moab. He heard that that the that the, the uh, in the highlands there it was very healthy living kind of like my friend who went out to the because she had uh, health problems and she goes out to the desert where the air was drier well and
0: this is true in biblical history too because you know from abraham's time onward famines hit
1: yeah. you had
0: to go where rain and crops were
1: that's right, That's so they're right.
0: going uh, so to Moab, correct so they
1: have to go to Moab and between Bethlehem and Moab, there's this thing called the Dead Sea and and the historians aren't quite sure they could go north, go around the north end where there was a they have to ford the Jordan River or they could go south uh, around the the south end and up into the hills of the mo of Moab, but it anyway either way they went it was a very long plus more than 50 60 miles uh, a very treacherous journey and so they piled everything together and probably uh, had an ox cart and maybe a donkey or two and off they went but uh, it was uh, it was a hard trip and the father dies. We do not know how he died. I wonder in my own mind whether they had such a tough trip that it took his health or whatever happened. At any rate, they lost Elimelech, and Naomi is left with two sons. Now, they grow, and both of them marry local gals uh, out of this alien culture. Their names were Orpah and Ruth. Now we have to look at it from their standpoint because they moved into a home that was totally different from where they had grown up. There was no polygamy. There was a there was a husband and wife uh, love and and devotion to each other. They followed the Mosaic law, no doubt. Uh, it was but a, but
0: they marry Moabites.
1: Yes. So we, now we, it was not against the law for uh, to marry a Moabite according to deuteronomy they were allowed to marry but uh, it was a very strange situation right it
0: wasn't i mean the, the pure intent was to marry within the tribes and not to intermarry outside That's so right. we're going to make the jump ahead and based on ruth's comments it seem you know we would say the language she came to christ but it seems as though she had faith in yahweh elohim right
1: where she developed that and right. that's the big question how did when? how did they change mm. how did she change well we know that uh, although we don't have the details both of the sons eventually died and here is this situation with Naomi and these two daughters-in-law and it's a, it, the, the raw emotion of this thing is as you can picture them clinging together and dear Naomi has got to make a critical, critical decision. And that's, uh, that's the turning point, really, of the whole story.
0: You know, I think of, and you, you all talk about Oklahoma and the Dust Bowl, I think of when we see refugees. We see R- Rwandan refugees that yes. have lost uh, maybe, uh, maybe both parents, and they're huddled together with a grandma and two or three children, and they've got nothing. Right, and that's where we are. Right,
1: they're absolutely desperate. They have nothing. They, they, they're everything's gone, and it's time that Naomi has to make a decision, and this is the turning point. And she's, she's a, a woman of, I think, common sense. She says, "Go back, live with your families. You can have you're young. You can rem- remarry. You have children. Um, but I have to leave."
0: So and let she- let me let me interrupt for just a second. Let's 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 just for my own benefit. We're talking about a desperate situation in the Book of Judges, and you start out number one D despair, and that's the despair of of having to you know go and travel to Moab, through the Dead Sea, the complication there. Now the desperation. We've lost Elimelech. We've lost Melon Chilion. We have an older woman with two daughters-in-law who are widows. And now we've got a decision to make.
1: It's a very, very critical decision. And by now, you know, Naomi has worn down to a nub, I'm sure. sure. And so she does what I think of as the next best thing to do, tell the girls to go home, I've got to go back. Someone has said she was like a a wounded animal mm. that makes its way to the birthplace in the woods. Um, there was nothing else to do but to go home. So she makes this decision and tells uh, the girls to go back. They, of course, they like her. They, they depend upon her. She's a whole, She's a light in their life. But Orpah decides, yeah, i got to do that. i got to go back. So she does. But then... We're surprised by this amazing statement that Ruth makes, which is essentially saying, don't ask me to leave you because I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm going to live with you wherever you live. This, Your God, and this is the the key right here, she has seen something beyond anything she ever knew. There's a God in the life of these people, This this Jehovah God. Your God was going to be, he's my God. She has come to a place of belief. She says, where you die, I'm going to die there, and and I'm going to be buried wherever you're buried. I am one of you, uh, one of your family. She It's a beautiful statement, of course, which has gone down through the ages and repeated over and over, Uh, this wonderful uh, sense of belonging to this family. We do not know what Naomi taught, but I'm reminded of the, the verse in Deuteronomy 33, the eternal God is thy refuge underneath of the everlasting arms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the, the, the basis on which they return, these two women going back to Bethlehem. So the decision is made, and then we begin the deliverance, which is so beautiful, because when they get there, of course, according to the the culture, the women are looking at Naomi, and they're saying, "Is this this Naomi? She must have aged amazingly." Right. All right. And um, and and the we we're thinking probably Elimelech leased his property, and she's coming back to her hometown of Bethlehem, it's barley season, it would be April, and then it was followed by the wheat season in May. Um, And so it's, 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 it's a situation where Ruth can have a way to earn a living, because in the old Mosaic custom, the reapers were told as they took the barley out of the field that they were to leave some along the sides for the poor people. And so... Uh, Ruth is there as a very humble person. Uh, She shows extreme humility um, and virtue because it was customary for those poor people often to flirt with the reapers. But she's a woman of great virtue, and she follows along and picks up the grain and tells her mother-in-law what she's doing And Naomi gives her, of course, the advice that she needs, that she should stay in this field. When she tells her mother-in-law, I have been reaping, I have been gleaning, as they would call it, in the field of this man named Boaz, the light goes on, apparently, in Naomi's mind, and she says, oh, he... Boaz is, is, is a relative. Now, he probably, what we know from the end when he goes to the city council to uh, make a statement, he was probably not a brother of Elimelech, but maybe like a cousin a or relative, someone like right. that. And she says, stay with, stay there with that man, because he is uh, reliable. Can,
0: can so, I can I inject and get your yeah. opinion on something? Yeah. Because... Um, the 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 plan which is hatched <laughs> so to speak uh, it's very risky uh, what what Naomi's up to oh yes but what we find in chapter 2 i love this this sentence ruth the moabite said to naomi please let me go to the field and glean and what insight that gives us into the character you mentioned this but i wanted to just elaborate a bit what a remarkable woman she is to leave her home country to go to a place she's never been with her mother-in-law because of the rumor of this Yahweh Elohim who's who's provided bread and now she's got the moxie if you will to say let me go do what I what I can do
1: Mm -hmm. her humility she really shows, as well as her decency and 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 her love for her mother-in-law it's a, a, a her character comes through at this point and of course Boaz notices this, and he takes a liking to her, and then her mother-in-law explains to her the customs that would make him notice her more, and explains and and gives her directions as to how to um, attract his attention. Remember, Naomi is an older woman, and she is looking for a husband for this this woman that she brought. Uh and, and suddenly it seems to me the light goes on, this is a possibility here. Um and so hey, he's
0: a doctor, he's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> he's an eligible bachelor. That's
1: right. And he's wealthy as right. well. <laughs> So it, it looks good, and of course it works out. And Boaz then is is faced with a, a problem because according to the law that they lived by, he had to go and make a, an announcement to the city council, a public announcement that he wished to purchase this property. And of course the the law was that he could purchase, that a man could purchase the property of his relative, and any eligible bride would come with it, because the thing was that they had to have children. The family had to go on.
0: Well, the Levitical law, if your brother died and left his wife without children, had a provision that you were to bring her in and father children so that the name of the brother was not forgotten, right? Right. So that's a little backdrop. And then, again, this transaction, which is really quite interesting, Uh, the landowner or closer relative is not named.
1: No, no. Isn't that
0: interesting that God doesn't want us to—it's not about what he failed to do, but about what Ruth and Boaz and Naomi did by faith. I think that's a remarkable part of the story.
1: It is. It is. But uh, Ruth, of course, is, is so aware of her position, where she even says she fell on her face, it tells us in chapter 2. She says, uh, why uh, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I am a foreigner. She was an alien person, and she didn't feel worthy of this, which I think is a tremendous picture of us spiritually as we come to the Lord <laughs> I'm not worthy of what you did for me. Indeed. You died for me, Indeed. but I'm not worthy of this. But of course, His love is is overshadowing the whole thing. And when the closer relative it could have been could have been a brother, but he did not have the uh, desire or the ability to take over this situation, and so Boaz, who was possibly a cousin or someone, um, he stepped in and and bought the property. And the bride came with it. And it is such a um, an, an amazing picture, uh, a parable, if you will, of what the Lord does for us. We are aliens. We have no right to have any part in what God provides. But he says, I, I've loved you, and I've bought you, and I've paid for you. So uh, you are mine now. It's uh, this ignominious beginning Comes to this wonderful restitution and rest, but the lesson that I, I personally glean from this is we, all this this amazing story, which is which has such a spiritual background and and uh, import to, to it, is in this world in the twenty first century. I'm a woman. Am I a woman that will inspire others? trust the God that I trust in. And Naomi, of course, is just trying to live a life, but she had in her a light that was shining and she didn't even know it or wasn't even aware of how much it was affecting other people. And that's that's the incredible story, the lesson that drops into everybody's mind as they think about this in today's world.
0: Now, just to review, you've talked about these four Ds, the despair, the desperation, the decision, and the deliverance. Right. And one thing you have written, that there's no Ruth without a Naomi.
1: That's right. And that's why that question is so central in my own mind, because although we all love Ruth, and she is certainly a, a wonderful role model, uh as I feel, it, it could not have been a Ruth if there hadn't have been this mother-in-law, this Naomi person, who, in her own way, just worshipped the Lord and and let the light shine when she didn't even realize it. It's a wonderful example for every woman, every Christian woman today.
0: I also love that toward the end. Um, of course, you know we know the story too well. Sometimes, but Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap.
1: That's that's right. And what that's, a
0: great picture!
1: That's the beautiful finish to the story. Yep. That not only did Boaz fall in love and marry Ruth, but they had this son named Obed. And for Naomi, it was a closure. It was that ability, as you say, to hold this little baby. And there's nothing, nothing quite like holding a little grandchild.
0: And then the neighbor women say, and again, these are tribal neighbors, words spread like fire. A son has been born to Naomi.
1: That's right. You know, this was a
0: big deal. It was a big deal. You can see this woman with a giant smile holding her little baby grandson in her lap rocking. And by the way, she's called Naomi, not Mara
1: that's right we've We skipped over the way that they responded when or the way Naomi responded when she came back because she was at the bottom, and she said, "Don't even call me by my name, Naomi, because that means pleasant, and God has dealt bitterly with me she She experienced what so many women today experience she's just been had she's she's at the bottom she has nothing left. I read about these dear women, the refugee women, whose husbands and families have been taken away from them, and they've been persecuted, and they have nothing at all. And this is where Naomi was. She says, "I, uh, the, the God has just dealt bitterly with me. But uh, God, as you say, it is, he is the kinsman redeemer, and he makes all things new.
0: So, So again, you started this way, but just to you know, refresh all of our minds. Uh, we're in a culture today where women's roles are pushed and pulled and strong opinions about you know, feminism and stay at home and don't work and you must have a career. And there's so many things broiling for young women today. And it can be hard. It can be overwhelming to navigate. So uh, talk to some of those women as, as you think through this story and Gene Hendrick's story of, you know, how things have changed, but God hadn't changed, and, and we're going to have times of trouble and despair and desperation, and we're going to have to make decisions.
1: Well, one of the the, re- the things that happen to you as you get older, and I could now speak about that, <laughs> is that you have experienced a lot of loss in your life. You can't live in this world without experiencing loss, and I could go down and, and enumerate my own personal losses of many family members whom I loved, and, and as well as uh, dreams that never came true. And, and now you're, you're older, and we like to say wiser, but not always. Uh and and many women come to the end of life, and they've lost everything. They've lost their health. They've lost their family. They've lost all means of support. Uh, and we can become very, very bitter. And God is, this is his message to us that I'm still here. Look at me. I have done something for you. I loved you no matter where you have been, what has happened to you. I still love you, and I have paid for you, and I want you to come and be in my family. That belonging is so important. Um for <clears throat> I've been very blessed in my life. Um because my earliest memory was my father saying to me, you're my little girl. And when he would say that, I didn't realize it at the time, but I know now, he's saying, you belong to me. We all have to belong to someone who is bigger and wiser and more capable than we are. And God is saying that message to us through this story of Ruth. The story is not just dropped there in the Bible because it's uh, an interesting story. It's a little love story. It's far more than that. It is the story of what God does. We call him the kinsman redeemer because he made us, he owns us, and he loves us, and he paid for us. And uh, we can trust him and uh, trust our lives to him, not only for this world, but for the next just yesterday, I heard a woman being interviewed. She was 100 years old, and they asked her, what has kept you going so long? And she said, well, when you fall down, you just have to get up again. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that sounds so wonderful. What happens when you can't get up mm-hmm. again? What else is there to, to look for? What is there to hold on to? It is something unseen, It is the unseen love of the Heavenly Father who uh, is the final answer to all of our problems. And that's why the Bible has been written. That's why this story is here, so that we can know what kind of a God we have. Uh, He's always there for us. Uh, And the world we live in is so harsh, and women often bear the brunt of that harshness. God is saying, I'm there for you no matter what.
0: Okay, let me ask you a final kind of wrap up on this. Yeah. Uh, You are sitting having coffee with a a young wife at La Madeline's somewhere in the Dallas area. Uh And she has gone through a horrible divorce. She's in trouble financially. Maybe she's a single mom now. She's got a couple of kids. And she's poured her heart out to you and said, Gene, what what do I do? Where do you start with her? What do you tell her?
1: Well, first of all, I hear her story. I want to know all about her. I want to hear that heart ache that she is describing. And then I want to tell her that there is a God in heaven who loves her. She's not forsaken. I want to give her some encouragement from the scriptures because there are all these. Promises that God gives us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, but we have to place our trust in this Lord, who offers His life to us. Uh, But that's that's on the unseen level. Now, on the day-to-day level, she needs to make some contact. She needs to. I could offer her the opportunity to go to my church, where they have. Groups that meet with with the, who discuss problems just like hers, and there are people there that who will love her or will help her, uh, and to uh, to make these human kind of contacts that she needs, but is to make it very clear to her that it's not just these human contacts; it is the contact with the the Lord in heaven and what he has done to save her and that she may have come to this day for such a time as this. So that he has uh, given her the word of his love. I will possibly and very often would give her something to read, uh, something to do, some person to see so that she's not left alone alone. You don't just toss her off and say, well, good luck, because that would not be um, not only the proper thing to do, but that's not what the love of God says to us, that we are to love each other, we're to love our enemies, we're to love, we're to treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves.
0: Gene, it's always, always a delight to talk to you. I look forward to our phone calls and when we're in Dallas to come by and hug your neck and Cindy and I. come to Dallas again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Cindy and I love you so much, and your imprint is on our marriage, on our lives. Hopefully, we transferred some of it to our kiddos, and and now we've got grandkids to try to love, and uh, you you and the prof are. uh, our, in our hall of faith and we love you and thank you for your time and we'll get you back on the broadcast soon
1: well i am the most blessed woman in the world and so honored to just chat with you today thanks so much
0: michael easy in context is fully funded from donations by our listeners if you're a regular listener would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters.